Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. I'm excited to be in church with you. My name is Taylor, and I have the privilege of uh, taking us into our final week of the sermon series that we've been in. So if it's your first week at church or you're new to, the, to, to this, uh, we preach in what we call sermon series, which is where we talk about uh, different aspects of, of, of kind of the same thing for a couple weeks. And so this series that we've been in right now, don't worry, it's not like a TV series. Like you're not tuning into the season finale, you have no idea what's going on. Like you'll, you're fine, you'll be good. Um, but the series that we've been in has been called, Are You Ready to Die? And it's not as morbid as it sounds, but it kind of is. And the idea is this. Steve has been taking, our lead pastor Steve, he's been taking us through uh, this series. And he came up the first week with an, an hourglass uh, and just kind of showed us like the, the finality of time. There's only so much of it. And the point of the series has just been, are you making the most of the time that God gave you? Are you living a life uh, that, that you can be proud of, that's going to leave a legacy? Are you living the way that God has called you to? Um, are you... Are you living, uh, again, a life that God would be proud of and that you can be proud of. And so Steve has talked to us about a couple things in the past couple weeks. Um, don't, you know, don't, don't hold grudges. Uh, my least favorite was don't sweat the small stuff, personally, because I sweat exclusively small stuff. <laughs> right? My wife may have uh, collided our cars a little bit one time. Not bad, but like a little bad. And uh, I was totally cool, no problem. Mistakes happen, that's fine. That same wife tried to put... <laughs> tried to put a, a melty chocolate bar down on my center console on my truck one time. That was not okay. We had a whole thing, right? Small stuff. I sweat small stuff. I got to get that figured out. Um, let's talk to us about focusing on what matters and stuff like that. And so um, I think over this month, whether it's something that um, Steve talked to us about or it's something that has just been kind of on your heart, I think most of us have realized there's something that you need to do. I think that um, whether it, again, is, is part of um, the sermon series or just something that, that you felt for the past couple months or something that maybe you just woke up this morning feeling like you need to do something. I think God has something for everybody to do. I firmly believe everybody who follows Jesus um, is going to be called to do something. Everybody. Sometimes we'll think about God calling you to do something as something that only happens for, you know, missionaries and pastors and people who adopt people and whatever. You know what I mean? Um, I don't think that's the case. I think everybody who follows Jesus is going to be called to something at some point. Uh, this is what the Bible says about that in the book of Ephesians. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Right? We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. And I, uh, I think it's important to look at how uh, that's worded. The second half of that, how it's worded, it says that God prepared in advance for us things for us to do, right? Not God prepared things that he's going to do for us. He prepared things for us to do. Participation is required. God is going to tee it up, but we have to swing. Steve talked about this in a sermon a couple years ago. He said that God will do what you can't, but he won't do what you can, right? God will do what only he can do. God will create the opportunity. God will make that position available. He will put you on the mind of the people doing the hiring. God will put that person in your life that you need to marry. God will put that business near you that you need to partner with. God will do what only he can do, and he will tell you what your step is, but it's up to you to actually do it. He will open the doors in your life, but it's up to you to walk through them. And for a lot of us, that's where his plan stops because it's really scary to walk through a door when you don't know what's on the other side of it. It's really easy to trust God with everything that he can do, but when it comes time for us to do our part, that's when a lot of us will kind of back out. And so I want to remind you of this too. Uh, this, there's a verse in James in chapter 4 that says, Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. So when God tells you something to do, when God calls you to something, God puts something on your heart that you need to do, and you know it and you don't do it, 
we'll, we'll, we'll sometimes we'll think, well, it's just, I'm, I'm like, I'll miss an opportunity. There'll be another opportunity that comes along. Uh, but it's more than that. That alone, though, like that's bad logic. Because if the, the, the God who created the universe, who numbered uh, the hairs on your, your head, not my head, um, <laughs> the hairs of my beard, whatever, like that God who, who, who is the author and perfecter of your faith, the Bible says, that God has a plan for your life, you should absolutely want to go for that. Like you don't want to miss out on anything he has for you. But more than that, you're not just missing opportunities if you don't follow through on what God is calling you to do. It's literally, it's sin. You're creating separate, you're, you're building a wall between you and the Lord. Because over time, what happens is you get so used to ignoring the Holy Spirit in your life. God tells you something, you ignore it. God tells you something else, you ignore it. You choose not to do it. You get so used to tuning out the Holy Spirit and you're so tuned into yourself that eventually you stop hearing it at all. And that's a terrifying place to be. And so it's important that we get to it, right? That's the title of today's sermon, Get To It. We want to uh, be the type of church, be the type of Christ follower, be the type of person that when God tells you to do something, you just go after it and you do it, all right? And one of the first things that's going to get in our way of that, one of the reasons um, that some, some of us will never even pass go, like we'll never even leave the starting line, is this idea of like, well, how do I know that it's God telling me to do it? Like, how do I know that it's God and it's not just me, like not my overactive imagination or not my intrusive thoughts or Whatever, you know what I mean? I feel like God wants me to do something. How do I know that it's him telling me to do it? And this is a good, like it's a good question to ask. As you follow the Lord over time, I think that it's an important thing to work on is how do you differentiate between the spirit, which is God, and the flesh, which is you? Like how do you hear the voice of God and recognize it? And it's important, but I don't want to spend a lot of time on it today. But I want to give you one quick tool to use. If, if you feel like you're called to something and you're trying to figure out, did God tell me to do this or am I making it up? I want to give you one tool that you can pass it through, like a lens, a filter to pass this through um, just to see, all right? It's a little bit complicated, but, but you'll get it. And this is it. If it goes against the Bible, it's not from God, period. That's it. If it goes against the Bible, it is not from God. Say it a different way. If it goes against the word of God, it is not the word of God. It's not God in your life. Every pastor has some cute way of saying that, though, so that we can remember it. Uh, the way that Steve has said it in our church that I absolutely love because it sticks with me is this. Um, God's will for your life will never contradict his word. God's will for you will never contradict his word. If you feel God calling you to do something and it actively goes against what it says in the Bible, that's not God telling you to do that. That just doesn't make sense. We believe that the Bible is the word of God, living, breathing word of God. Why, he, he, God doesn't contradict himself. So why would he tell you one thing in the Bible and then turn around and tell you another thing right now? That just doesn't make sense. And so for, for you, if you're dating somebody in here and you feel God telling you, you need to marry that person, that's cool. That could be from God. If you feel God telling you you need to marry that person and you need to move in with them right now before you get married, you need to start living out your marriage and start working on having kids and having a family, that's not cool. That's not from God. The Bible speaks very clearly against that, right? And so I want to tell you this too. If you are new to following Jesus, if you're new to reading the Bible, you don't know a lot of what's in there, um, don't worry. I want to tell you that don't worry. Like God has grace for where you're at. He knows exactly where you're at. Um, and there's stuff available for you. You don't have to be a Bible scholar, right? There's a really deep spiritual discipline called Google, and you can use that, that up. If you have questions, you can Google it. Um, also, following Jesus is a team sport. It's not an individual sport. And so you're here, you're at church, you're surrounded by people who read the Bible and can help you find answers. If you serve, you serve with people who read the Bible and can help you find answers answers. If you go to a home group, you're in a home group with people who read the Bible and can help you find answers. If you know nobody in this place because you're brand new, uh, go over to these desks when you leave and ask somebody over there because they read the Bible and they can help you find answers. You don't ever have to be an absolute Bible scholar, go to Bible college. You just have to read the Word of God and ask Him to, to give you understanding. 
that's it. So you're, you're not excluded from this if you're new to following the Lord. I just want to give that disclaimer. Um, when you feel like God is calling you to do something, check it against the Bible. And the reason I don't want to talk about that too much, like that, I'm going to leave it there, and I want to leave it there because of this. I think a lot of times we'll get so mixed up here, and we'll get so stuck trying to figure this out that we just won't act. And so for me, I know that I am just in, gen- in life, I am so terrified of being wrong that I will a lot of times not give myself the opportunity to even be right. I'd rather just be absent, right? Um, that's a terrible way to live. And so what, what God has been telling me in the past couple years, what, what the Spirit has really put on my heart that I believe really strongly is this, that anything that you do out of obedience, genuinely out of obedience, anything that you do because you're trying to obey God, God is going to bless it, right? So an example, one time I'm, I'm standing in Wawa on the checkout line. There's somebody in front of me, and I'm like, oh, I should pay for that person, um, I don't know why. I was just thinking about, oh, I should, I should pay for that person a Wawa. Pretty simple thing. Instantly, though, I get to thinking. And that's my problem, because I just get to thinking. And I'm like, well, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Because, like, I'm a single dude at that time. That's a married lady. Like, it's kind of awkward. How do I explain that I just want to pay for you? Like, how did, it doesn't make any sense. What if she's buying cigarettes? And I'm, <laughs> I'm supporting her cigarette addiction. You know what I mean? Like, start thinking all these different things and all these reasons why maybe I shouldn't do it. Maybe I'm just making it up. Somebody on Sunday had preached about, you know, doing stuff like that. So I was like, well, maybe I'm just making it because whatever. By the time I landed on anything, that lady was at home smoking the cigarette she just bought, <laughs> right? Like I got so hung up on what I were, whether I was right or wrong that I just didn't do anything. And so this for me is super freeing to just know that if you are trying to pursue the will of God, he's going to meet you there. And, and, and I want to be clear, what I'm not saying is go do anything you want to, go and, and, and haul off and sin as much as you want to, and God is going to bless it if you ask him to. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is there is freedom uh, for those of you who are like me and feel like you just can't be wrong. Because the truth is, in that moment, uh, when I felt God was telling me to pay for that lady at Wawa, he, I, he may not have been. That might have been my own imagination. That might have been me just thinking, oh, well, they did it. Uh, they talked about doing it on Sunday, and that's cool. I want to be cool too. Let me do that. You know what I mean? But if I do that out of obedience for God, as long as I'm not actively stepping into or towards sin, God's going to meet me there and bless it anyway. God doesn't need my perfection. That's what he told me. God doesn't need my perfection. He needs my obedience. This is what the Bible says about that in the book of Hebrews. In chapter 11, he says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That God rewards those who earnestly seek him. It doesn't say God rewards those who are always right, who always know exactly what to do, who never have any questions, who never have any doubts, who always know exactly where to go, exactly where to look, exactly what to say. That's not who God blesses. God rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so focus on seeking him and then just trust that. Don't get so hung up trying to figure out if you're right or wrong because timing matters. We'll get so hung up there that we won't act. And by the time I figured out what I wanted to do, again, at Wawa, that lady was gone. Every opportunity has a time frame, has a time limit. We know that. If you're playing basketball, you get a pass and you got a wide open shot, if you don't take that shot, what happens? You don't have the shot anymore. Like it's gone. Somebody's on you. You have a, a, an opportunity to do things. God gives you an opportunity to do things, but they all have time limits on them. And so we want to be the type of church that just gets to it. We want to be the type of Christ followers that get to it. This is that, that, that buffalo mentality we used to talk about. We had the, the Father's Day hats that one year that had the buffalo on it, and we preached about it a while ago, but... We want to be the type of church that has that bison mentality. What does that mean? Uh, on, on, you know, out west on the plains and whatever, the bison are one of, if not the only animal that when a storm is coming, they go headlong into it. Most animals, when they see a storm coming, they'll turn around, they'll go the opposite direction to run away from the storm because they don't want to be in the storm. But the bison knows that if I'll put my head down and I'll head straight into this storm, I'll walk through it and I'll come out on the other side a lot quicker than if I tried to run away from it. 
All right, that's the kind of attitude, that's the mentality that we want to have as a church and as Christ followers. That when God calls us to do something, we want to put our heads down and get to it. So how do we get to it? How do, how do we start chasing down what God wants for us? Remember what uh, that verse in Hebrews said, and without what? It's impossible to please God. Remember? Faith. Some of you are cheating in the notes, and I respect that. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. God wants your faith. It takes faith to follow God and what he's calling you to do. God wants to do something incredible in your life. He wants you to live a life that is so beyond anything that you are capable of sustaining on your own that it feels like you're treading water. Like God wants to do things in your life that you cannot do on your own. And to live a life like that, fully surrendered to God, it requires faith. And here's what the book of James says about the idea of faith in chapter 2. He says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Your faith requires action. Right? You can talk about how much faith you have all you want to, and none of it means anything. Because your action will show you how much faith you actually have have. You know what I'm saying? And so to live this life that's full of surrender, to live a faith that is pleasing to God, you're going to have to back it up with how you act, the way that you make choices, the way that you live. You're going to have to prioritize your faith over different things in your life that will seek to come against that action that makes your faith real in the first place. You have to choose faith over a great number of things. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. You got to to get to it, to do what God is calling you to do, to, to take advantage of the opportunity God is giving you. You've got to choose faith over different things. And the first thing we're talking about is this. You have to choose faith over fear. Now, full transparency, choose faith over fear. I stole that line verbatim from Joyce Meyer in a Bible plan on version. It's called Do It Afraid. It's a great Bible plan. I ripped it, stole it right out of there. So, plagiarizing, but I'm admitting it, so I don't think that counts anymore. So you have to choose, <clears throat> you got to choose your faith over your fear. When God is calling you to do something, a lot of times we have a lot of fear that keeps us from taking that step. He's calling us to risk something. We're, we're, we're afraid of failure. We're afraid of looking foolish. We're afraid of being wrong. We're afraid of the unknown. We're afraid of what is going to be in, required. When we go and, and we take that step, we're afraid of what we're going to lose if we're wrong. We're afraid of what we'll have to give up if we're right. We're afraid of a lot of things. And I want to be clear, fear itself is not an inherently bad thing. Fear is a feeling. God gave us feelings. God gave us a whole gamut of feelings and we're supposed to feel all of them. But those feelings are indicators. Fear is an indicator that there's something you need to pay attention to. Fear is an indicator that something might be not quite right, right? So when you're walking home, if you live in the city and you're walking home at night uh, and you start to feel the little hairs on the back of your neck stand up, you feel a little, bit of a, a little bit of fear, that's not a bad thing. It just means you need to pay attention to what's going on around you, right? So fear is not bad, but you can't let fear take the place of faith because fear will warn you, but fear will not sustain you. There's a story in, in the New Testament um, which is the part of the Bible that, that has Jesus in it, just to put it really simply, the New Testament. Um, there's a story where Jesus and his disciples are somewhere, uh, and Jesus is going to go off and do his own thing for a little bit. He tells his disciples, get in the boat and go and cross that lake, and I'll, I'll, I'll meet you over there. So they don't ask any questions. All right, we'll do it. They get in the boat. They start paddling out, and they're, you know, it says they're like three or four miles off the shore on this big lake, uh, middle of the night, it's kind of windy, and then that's what we'll pick up the story in Matthew chapter 14. It says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. 
Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? So at first, Peter put faith over everything. He put faith over his fear. He chose faith over common sense. He chose faith over physics. He chose faith over reality. He stepped out of a boat because Jesus invited him to do it, and he walked on water on a lake in the middle of the night, in the middle of a storm. And he had a moment with Jesus that was amazing. He did something that no other person has done since. And faith sustained that moment until he let that fear creep back up. Because that fear was was there the whole time. He just put faith in front of it. But over time, he took his eyes off of the Lord and he put his face uh, into the fear And he let that overtake his faith. And what he found out was that your fear will not sustain you the way your faith will. Faith kept him walking on water as though it was dry land. His fear sunk him. And so whatever God is calling you to do, you may be legitimately, you may have genuine legitimate fears. And they're valid. You may, in what God is calling you to do, you may lose money. Your business may suffer because you do what God told you to do. Your marriage may end up in a really tough spot because you admitted that thing to your spouse that God has been telling you you need to admit to them. Right? There's genuine risk associated with following God. You may suffer a little bit. You may lose something. That fear may come true. But that's where the faith comes in because the real genuine faith in God that we need is one that says, even if all of my fears come true, even if everything I'm afraid is going to happen does happen, I know that just for the fear fact, sheer fact that I'm following God, that this is God's plan for me, even if all these fears come true, I know this is still for the best. And I know that what God has in store for me is way better than anything that that I would have had if I was living in my fear and letting my fear keep me where I am. So it's okay to be afraid, but don't let that fear overtake your faith. Choose faith over fear. The other thing we want to choose faith over is our feelings. So we talked about feelings a little bit there. Um, We want to prioritize your faith over your feelings. Now there's a lie in church that we believe where following God is, is going to be easy, right? The choice that God wants us to take is going to feel super smooth. It's going to feel so easy. It's going to, you know, the right thing to do is always an easy thing. And that's pretty much exclusively not true, right? A lot of times what God wants you to do, the God choice, is a lot of times the mo- hardest, most difficult choice that's available. And we see that acted out by Jesus when he got crucified, Something that really stuck out to me in this past month, um, it just kept coming up. I was listening to a book, because that's how we read now, with our ears. So I was listening to a book, and they talked about this fact, and then I was uh, watching this TV show that has nothing to do with the Bible, and they were talking about Jesus doing this, and then I was uh, listening to a new worship song that came out recently, and he said the same thing. Um, Jesus chose to take the cross. Like it was an up into the moment where he was arrested, it was an active, de- and including like the rest of it, it was an active decision by Jesus to do that. Like he didn't have to, to, to do that. He knew what was going to happen ahead of time. He told his disciples before they even went into Jerusalem, hey, when we get in here, I'm going to have to suffer uh, and I'm going to be killed. And his, I think his disciples just thought he was talking in riddles or something. They're like, all right, that sucks. Whatever, let's go. So... They, they, you know, went in there, and, and so Jesus knows what's, what's going to happen. He knows what's coming for him, and just like all of us, he don't want to do it, and so when he, right before he gets arrested, he takes some of his disciples, like his closest friends, and he goes out kind of in the middle of nowhere, and he, he, he you know, leaves them behind a couple hundred yards, and he walks off a little bit on his own, and he starts praying to, to God, and what he's praying is just, God, don't make me do it. God, take it from me, please. If there's any way for me to not have to do this, please let me not do this. Let me do anything else instead. And he's praying and he's earnestly seeking God, begging him to to let him do anything else. And this is what it says in the book of Luke. It says this. 
And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. He was so distraught. He was in so much distress over what he knew God needed him to do. He was so tense with it that his blood capsules started to burst and leak through his skin like he was sweating blood. I have never been so upset about anything that I sweat blood. Jesus is going through it in this moment. And it would have been so easy for him to not go through with it. Because it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. Remember, Jesus spent a lot of time in the wilderness. So he knew how to survive. Jesus spent a lot of time traveling around the area. So he knew where to go. And he had a lot of people everywhere that would take care of him. Jesus is also by himself in the middle of the night, in the middle of the woods, and his boys, who are a couple hundred yards away, they're asleep. He could absolutely just disappear right now. And I started thinking about that, like, what, what would my mindset be? What would my mindset be? And I would be there thinking about this, praying God would take it away, and so much distress, knowing that this thing is going to happen, knowing that I don't have to do it. And I would start thinking, well, it doesn't make sense even, because, you know, Jesus started doing miracles and stuff when he was 30, and he got uh, crucified when he was 33. So he had three years of his ministry on earth. And I would start to think about that and be like, dude, three years, that's not long. Like, imagine how many, if I will just stick it out and I'll live a whole life on earth, imagine how many miracles I can do. Imagine how many people I could heal. Imagine how many churches I could start. Imagine how many uh, things that I could do. I could change the whole world. I could change the whole world if I had my whole life, to be able to be here on earth. And eventually, I know me, I would start to convince myself that that's probably what God really wants me to do, that that's a revelation from the Lord, that he wants me to do that instead of this other thing. But that's not what Jesus did. What Jesus did was he prayed that God would take it away, and then he said, not my will, though, but yours. And so he had so much faith in his Father and in his father's plan for the world and for him, that he took being arrested, he took being humiliated, being beaten, being tortured, and ultimately dying. He took all of that and he chose all of that because of his faith, more than just his feelings. And so your feelings, just like Jesus's, they might be very valid. I'm not trying to discount the way that you feel, the, the worry that you have, the anxiety that you're feeling, the distress that you have, the fear that you have. I don't want to discount any of that, but what I'm telling you is if you can put your faith in Jesus and trust him with it and just go do it anyway, that your whole life can change, right? That product that you've been waiting to put out to market that you feel like God is telling you, just send it. And you're so worried, you're so uneasy about it. I want to tell you, if God's telling you to do it, just go put that product out to market. See what God does with it. That position that you feel underqualified for, that you don't think you can do it, you don't know why you got offered the position in the first place, you feel so uneasy about it, take the position. If that's what God is calling you to do, take that position and watch him make it work. Teenagers, stop hanging out with that person. Like You, you will never admit it to your parents. You don't have to right now. But you know that person is not good for you to be hanging around with. You know that person is constantly trying to get you in trouble, trying to get you to do things that you know you shouldn't be doing. And you know God is telling you you need to create a little bit of distance there. But it's so cool to just hang out with that person. It feels right. It feels cool. It feels whatever. Stop hanging out with that person. Like choose your faith in God over your feelings and watch him shape the rest of your life. Right? And so the last thing that we want to put our faith over, last thing we're going to talk about today is this. You have to prioritize your faith over facts. Choose your faith over facts. Remember when Peter stepped out of the boat on the water. Science wasn't as developed at that point. I understand that. They maybe had not discovered everything we've discovered today. But they did know people don't walk on water. That's not how water works. That's not how people works. That's not how anything works, right? It's literally impossible. But Peter, in that moment, 
was invited by Jesus to do something impossible, and he had so much faith in Jesus that he did it. He didn't ask questions. He didn't say, well, how's it going to work? How is it for you right now? Are your feet like boats? Are you floating? Or does it feel like, what should I expect? He didn't ask anything. He just went in. He did it. He had so much faith in Jesus that he did something that was impossible. And that's really difficult for us, especially, I think, now in the information era. We know so much. And so we're so afraid of everything. A lot of times what God wants you to do is going to seem impossible. And it might be legitimately impossible. Or it might be that you just don't understand how it's going to work. So for somebody, I think, here at Montgomeryville or watching online, somebody is engaged. Somebody's engaged and your wedding is coming up soon and you've spent thousands of dollars on a ring, thousands of dollars on a dress, thousands of dollars on a venue down payment, thousands of dollars on a caterer, thousands of dollars on a honeymoon, thousands of dollars, right? You're, you're, you're 10, 20, 30,000 dollars into this wedding and you know God is telling you not to marry that person. Just to put it really plainly, you know God is telling you not to marry that person. And the fact is, like the truth of reality, is that it is too late. You have too much invested. You put too much money into that marriage. You put too much time. There's too much emotion wrapped up in it. There's too many people who are going to be disappointed. <coughs> There's too many people who already bought their clothes for your wedding, who already bought you the gift, who already planned to be there. There's too much going on. It's too late. It doesn't make sense. But do you have a faith that you can choose to trust over that fact? Like, can you trust God in a situation that doesn't make any sense? Maybe you just bought a truck or a car, whatever. You just bought that car. You just bought that truck. It was more than you wanted to spend. You put more money down on it than you had planned on, but it brought the monthly down, so you know, it's doable now. You're all right. And you know that you paid too much for the truck. It's not worth what you paid for it, but you wanted it, so you did it anyway. And now you feel like God is telling you you need to sell it. But that doesn't make any sense because you just bought this truck. You just paid too much as a down payment, and you have a loan to cover the rest. And so transferring the title is not going to make any sense. You can't sell it back to the dealer because they don't want it because they just got rid of it. I don't know how it's going to, you don't know how it's going to work in a private sale. You're definitely going to lose money, and it's just not going to work. And then on top of all of that, once it's all said and done and you've lost all that money that you're going to lose, now you have to go and spend more money on a different vehicle. It just doesn't make any sense. But do you have a faith that you can put ahead of those facts, that you can trust God in spite of all those things that maybe seem impossible, maybe don't make any sense to you? I'll be honest with you. I have let every single one of these things get in the way of me following what God wants me to do. In the course of my life, I've let all these things get in the way. Fear, that, that story from, from Wawa, true story. I let fear, I let feelings, I let, you know, whatever get in the way of me just paying for that person. This, this, this story about a truck, that's my life. I've told you about my truck before. I still have that truck, right? Um, it was, it was that, this exact story. I, I paid more than I wanted to for it. Um, I got into it and then realized in, in, you know, within like the first month of owning it, I was like, dude, I think God wants me to sell this truck. I know my mechanic now wants me to sell that truck. But it's not worth it anymore. And so <clears throat> I felt like God telling me, you need to sell the truck. And all this stuff was true. It was like, I don't know how it's going to work. I don't have any more money. I just spent it all on this truck. I'm not going to get any of it back because it's not worth all that. I can't sell it. It doesn't make sense. And so I didn't do it. I kept it. And now listen, it didn't ruin my life. Like, I still have the truck. I still like the truck. I have great memories in that truck. With my wife, I have great memories in that truck. With my son, uh, it's been a, a really, you know, decent little machine, kind of, for me. It did not ruin my life. But I'll never know what God wanted to do with that obedience. Like, I'll never know what God wanted to do through that situation of me selling that truck 
and figuring out how that works and just going for it even though I didn't understand it and even though it didn't make sense. I'll never know what God wanted to do, the direction that that could have taken my life. And it may have had nothing to do with a truck. I may have ended up with just some old beater and that would have been fine. It could have had something to, to, to do, you know, entirely nothing to do with, with a vehicle, but I'll never know what God wanted to do with that obedience. But what I have seen, on the other hand, is I have seen what God will do if you'll just trust him. If you'll choose your faith in Jesus over everything else. And so I started coming to Journey Church at the very end of 2014. I started serving on the band uh, pretty quickly. And then I started going to a home group pretty shortly after that. And so in that home group, that first home group that I was in, is when I really, like, started following Jesus. So I grew up in church. I would have told you I was a Christian my whole life. Um, and I was really good at saying and doing all the right things to impress you enough and keep you off of my back, basically, while I did whatever I wanted to do, honestly. And I really, I genuinely, I thought I was a Christian. I thought that's what it meant. And so I was in this home group and in this moment, I remember the, the, it wasn't anything that anybody said. There wasn't anything special about the series we were going through. It was just a moment where I realized I'm in this room full of people and they all have what I want. Everything that I've been looking for in bars and online and, you know, in dating and whatever else, everything I've been looking for, these people have. And what it is, is just, they didn't have a lot in common. It was just they have a real relationship with Jesus. Like they're really living their life for him. And I need to start taking that seriously. And so that, that was the moment. I'll never forget it. That is the moment that I started to take my relationship with God seriously. I started following the Lord. And he started doing things in me that I was not capable of. He start, I gave him my time. I gave him my life. I gave him my drinking. I gave him my, my you know, dating habits. I gave him everything. And he started to make me into something that I absolutely was not. He started to develop integrity in me that I never had. He started to develop a boldness in me that I never had. He started to develop leadership in me, the ability to lead myself that I was never able to do. He developed things in me. He made me a version of me that I always wished I could be, but I was never able to do it. God did that in me. And then in 2017, um, we were at four campuses. We didn't have Montgomeryville at that point. Um, the guy who was in charge of the worship team, his name is John. He called me and he said, hey, uh, we don't have a worship leader at Limerick right now. Um, I think you need to go lead worship at Limerick. And I was like, no, I don't sing. Like, you, not just I don't sing, like, you know I don't sing. Uh, we did, you know, a couple times at Phoenixville back in the day, like, practice. We'd be like, all right, cool. Taylor, you can go ahead and lead a song. We'll, we'll see how that goes. Just test you out. See what you got. And so I did it, and it was bad. And you know, I'll just tell you know it was bad. Uh, this stage is a little bit different, but Laurel was there, and Laurel is the most encouraging person you'll ever meet in your life. And so we're doing the thing. I'm up at the front. My spot's in the back, but I came up to the front, sang this song, and then we're done, and I just look down, and I turn around to go back to my spot, and I look at Laurel, and Laurel goes, you know what I mean? Like, she didn't, she got nothing nice to say, just look down, tickle the old ivories, and that's what she did, right? And so, like... <coughs> It was bad. I didn't sing. And so there was a big part of me that, yeah, I want to go do it. I, I love the team. I love, you know, following Jesus. I love what God is doing in my life. I think God is telling me to do this. I want to do it. But there was a big part of me that had wanted nothing to do with it because I was afraid. I was afraid that I was going to look like a fool. I was afraid of embarrassing myself. I was afraid that um, all, all the, like, work I had done to, like, be a really good teammate, I was going to undo it all by showing up at, at this campus and just not being able to sing and do my job. I was afraid that uh, they were going to realize that I was right all along and they shouldn't have hired me and then they were going to fire me and that was going to be awkward and I was going to have to like find a new church or something and that was going to suck. So I was so scared, but I chose, I'm going to, I'm going to, if I really think that it's God like telling me I need to do this, I'm, I'm going to do it. And so I trusted the Lord with it and I, and I went and, and I did it and I started leading worship at Limerick campus. And you know what happened? I was right. I sucked. <laughs> It was really bad. I was exactly as embarrassed as I thought I was going to be. I would look exactly as much of a fool as I thought I was going to be. I didn't get fired, but there was conversation. There was contemplation surrounding it. 
right? Like it was not good and it felt terrible. It felt absolutely terrible. There was, I would say six months where I had never, I've never in my life had an issue with like anxiety or panic or worry or any of that. And for six solid months, I was constantly panic stricken. And here's what would happen. We did it kind of the same way we do now where we have a couple songs up front. And so I would schedule who sings what and I would have somebody else sing the first song. Then I would sing the second song and I'd have somebody else sing the last song, right? I told eight o'clock it was a suck sandwich. And so I would put me in the middle and bookend me with talent and hope that everybody would forget, right? And so what would happen, we'd, we'd start singing the first song, everything would be fine. We'd get halfway through the first song and I know that I'm up next. And I would literally start having a panic attack. Like I didn't like collapse on the stage or anything, but I start sweating, but I'm cold and I'm flushed and I'm like, I can't breathe, but I'm breathing too much. And I'm like, I'm sweating, but my mouth is dry. Why can't I just sweat into my mouth? Why isn't it? Because I'm thinking about everything in the world. And then that lasted all the way through. I was singing, you know, whatever song I was singing that lasted all the way through there. Um, and then as soon as I was done with that song and the next person was singing, all of those feelings were replaced by embarrassment uh, and just feeling like a fool. And that lasted a solid six months. And I'm not exact. There's people in this room who were there, a couple in the front row, a couple over here. I know you. You can ask Laurel was around. Ben was there for it. In Montgomeryville, you can ask Kirby. You can ask Matt and Karen Ryder. They were all there. They know. It was not good. And after six months, though, something changed. And it wasn't that I got good. Like, I know myself. I've got a narrow lane now that I can operate inside of pretty well. Uh, rather narrow. And anything outside of that was just not for me. It took me seven years to develop that little lane. Early on, I had zero lane. I was just bad. And after six months, something happened where I just, there was a, God led me to something where he said, dude, you need to stop worrying about this. Like, I brought you here to do this. Not because you're a good singer. If I wanted a good singer, I'd have went and found one. I'm God. If I wanted talent, I would have found talent. But I didn't. I wanted all of those things that I built in you in that time that you've been following me. The integrity that I built in you. The leadership that I built in you. The things that I changed. The person that I made you to be who you're really not. I did that in you so that you could come and do this right now. And so I chose in that moment, I'm going to put my faith in God over my feelings. And whether I suck or not, I'm going to just do it. I'm going to do the very best I can. I'm going to trust that God has a plan. He didn't bring me here to ruin everything. And if he did, it's because he wants to close this campus and kick me out of this church. And that's fine. And so I chose, I'm going to let God do what he's going to do. And I'm just going to do my part of it. And everything changed. I didn't get better but God blessed that campus with worship in spite of me. God blessed that team with leadership in spite of my weaknesses. And God blessed me through my weaknesses. Something I didn't realize until I was preparing this message is everything that God did in that season of my life, everything that God led me through and let me work through has prepared me for where I am at right now. I can stand on this stage and I can talk to y'all about pretty much anything with a little bit of nerves, but not that much because I'm not, I don't really sweat you because there's nothing that I can say. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing that can happen on this stage that's going to make me look more of a fool than I looked all that time being a limerick. There's nothing I can do up here to embarrass myself worse than I was embarrassed all that time being at limerick. God did that. God did that through me, in me, for a purpose. My marriage, fatherhood, things I know nothing about, I'm able to go confidently after them because I have seen what God can do with just a little bit of obedience. I don't have to understand it. I don't have to be the best at it. I don't have to have all of the knowledge, all of the wisdom, all of the understanding. I just have to have a faith that God is good and that he has a plan that he's working out in my life. And here's the truth. The fact is that I don't sing. I don't preach. I don't have integrity. I'm not a faithful person. I'm not a good example for my son to follow. But I'm obedient to a God who makes me all of those things. And there's nothing special about me. God didn't cook up something extra special for old Taylor 
and he's got something regular waiting for you. No, he has the exact same thing for you. All you have to do is trust him over everything. So right now, if we could all stand up here in Montgomeryville, we're going to stand to our feet. We're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. This is a moment just between you and the Lord. You're not going to look around. We're not going to be trying to see what everybody else is doing. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. This is a moment between you and Jesus. And I want to tell you, here in Montgomeryville, there's two different types of people here that I want to talk to. The first is this. You know God. You've been following Jesus. You've seen him do things in your life. And there's something that you know you need to do. There's a decision you need to make. There's a conversation that you need to have. There's a question you need to ask. There's something you need to tell somebody. There's a hard conversation you need to have. There's something that you know you need to do. God is telling you to do something. And I want to tell you right now, go do it. Just as soon as we're done today, let's go. Bring him home. Put your phone out. Start calling people. Start texting people. Start filling out forms online. Whatever it is you got to do, get to it. Because there is a time frame on what God wants to do in your life. You do not want to miss an opportunity that he has for you. So in this moment right now, I I would ask you, just spend this moment with God. When Jesus was in in the garden and he was praying to not have to take the cross, what his father told him was, no, you still got to do it. But he also sent angels to comfort and, and encourage Jesus so that he could go and do what he needed to do. Spend this moment right now praying that God would comfort and encourage you to go do the difficult thing that you need to do. Pray that he would give you clarity. Pray that he would confirm in your spirit that I need to go and do this thing. And the other group of people in this room and at Montgomeryville that, that I want to talk to you right now is a group of people that... I think you're starting to realize that, that there is a God, that Jesus is real, that he loves you, that he is for you, that he wants to know you, that you don't have to earn your place in his presence, in his kingdom, that he loves you exactly how you are, and he has a plan for you, just like he had a plan for me. He wants to do something in you, just like he wanted to do something in and through me. When, when we feel God calling us to do something. A lot of times it's not a, a word that he'll say out loud to you. Hey, turn left. A lot of times we feel that uh, in our heart, in our soul, a, a, a nudging feeling. Like if, if uh, you ever walking with your kid and they start to kind of trail, you know, trail off the path and you kind of hip check them, bump them back on where they need to go. We'll feel that kind of thing in, in our heart, a tugging on our heartstrings. And I think the first time that you feel that is when God is trying to get you to respond to him. The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door of our hearts and he knocks. And it's up to you to let him in. He's not going to kick the door down. He's not going to bum rush you. God wants a relationship with you, but you have to choose it. And so I want to give you that opportunity in this place. If you feel that knocking on your heart, if you feel that tug in your spirit, if you feel like... Uh, you are experiencing Jesus for the first time. This is your get-to-it moment. Your very first. You'll have so many after this. This is your very first get-to-it moment. This is a moment, just like me in that home group, this is a moment you will never forget for the rest of your life. It will change everything. So don't let it go by. Don't waste this. I'm going to ask you in a second to raise your hand so that we know we can pray for you. And in that moment, nobody's looking around. Nobody's looking around. We just want to know. I'm going to look. So I'm looking around, but nobody else is. We want to pray together as a family. We want to know that we're praying with you, that we're celebrating with you. So in this moment right now, if you want to experience Jesus, if you want to experience the life that Jesus has for you, I want you to just raise your hand right now so that we can celebrate with you and that we can pray for you. Don't miss an opportunity. Don't let the moment pass you by. I see you over here. Amen. Amen. I see you over on this side. I see you in the back. Amen. Listen, the reason that we clap is this. When the Bible tells us that when one person comes to know the Lord, all of heaven stops to celebrate. And if all of heaven is going to stop and celebrate with the people in this room, we are not going to get left out of that celebration. That's why we clap. That's why we celebrate. And so in this place, if you met Jesus or at Montgomeryville, if you met Jesus, we want to pray together as a family. So I'm asking everybody to keep your heads bowed. Let's celebrate with the three people in Montgomeryville who just met Jesus. Amen.
And so right now, all across this room, all across the room in Montgomeryville, I want you to pray with me. We're going to pray like this. Say, Jesus, thank you for this moment. Thank you that you are making yourself known. Thank you that you have a plan. Thank you that even though I don't understand it, it's still good. God, I may not understand you. I may not know a lot about the Bible. I may not know anything that I need to. But I know I just need you. God, would you come into my heart? Make me who you want me to be. And God, as we continue to, to pray and to celebrate, Lord, we just thank you for this moment that we get to spend in your presence. That on a Sunday, we get to come into these rooms and a room in Montgomeryville. And from 20 miles apart, we get to celebrate your truth together, Jesus. That we get to sing songs about how good you are, Lord. That we get to celebrate the things that you've done in our lives. That we get to learn from your word. That we get to gather together and be in community with people who just love you. God, thank you that you give us the opportunity to love you. Thank you for the things that you want to work out in our lives, God. I pray that you would give us a boldness, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would set a fire inside of us and give us boldness that doesn't come from us, God, that we would have a boldness to pursue what you would have us pursue, Lord, that the plan you have for our life, that we can trust you that it's good and that you are good and that you love us, God. Thank you that you save us, that you love us, that you use us for good. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.